Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 541 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I've just had a couple of days of, well, lots of errands, to be honest. You know, life admin, getting stuff from Officeworks, taking stuff to Officeworks, like, you know, your, your printer cartridges, because you can drop them off safely at Officeworks, going to Mitre 10, because I needed one of those industrial box cutters, um, the $2 shop, love my favourite $2 shop, literally has everything, hanging out at uh, Service New South Wales to renew my licence, got my hair cut, like quite a lot. Every time I look in the mirror, I get a bit of a shock. Um, I've been packing artwork to collectors in Sydney and New Zealand, and I've been reading, reading and reading. And I popped into my local bookshop yesterday and I picked up um, uh, Knowing What We Know by Simon Winchester. He's written a gazillion books, but, you know, he really came to prominence a couple of or decades ago now, with um, The Surgeon of Crowthorne. The full name is The Surgeon of Crowthorne, A Tale of Murder, Madness and the Love of Words about the making of the Oxford English Dictionary. It's also been made into a movie. Um, The full name of his current book is Knowing What We Know, The Transmission of Knowledge from Ancient Wisdom to Modern Magic. So I'm keen to get stuck into that. I love a good nonfiction book. But let's move on to my writing tip this week. This tip comes from a question that came up in our Novel Writing Essentials course, and it's about having more than one point of view protagonist or main character in your story. So this is when, say, your manuscript has two main characters and the point of view, whether that's third person or third person limited, whatever, alternates between them. So the question is, well, the question that was posed was, if I have two protagonists or two main point of view characters, do I need to develop inciting incidents, turning points and so on for each of them? The simple answer is yes, you do. Each main point of view character, main, keyword main, needs to have their own complete story arc with inciting incidents, turning points, climax, resolution and so on. Now, not necessarily every point of view character needs this because you might have a few of those, but they're not all main characters, right? Uh, But every main point of view character, every point of view protagonist needs to have needs to have this happen to them. So our course tutor, Bernadette Foley, explained it further. She said, if you have two leading characters, you will need to develop inciting incidents, etc., for each one. However, it doesn't mean you you need to do this in every chapter. Because, you know, one chapter might focus on one character and another chapter might focus on a turning point for the other character, for example. Now, of course, Bernadette Foley spent decades in the world of publishing as an editor and publisher. And she is one of our amazing tutors that we have in our Novel Writing Essentials course. And in that course, you get the opportunity to workshop your writing with a supportive group of fellow writers, which is so important when we're on this journey because, you know, writing is so isolating, right? And you'll get access to advice and feedback, obviously, from your online tutor as well, from people like Bernadette. If you're interested, find out more at writerscentre.com au slash novel essentials that's writercenter.com.au slash novel essentials 
Now let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of Search History by Amy Taylor to give away. This week's giveaway is an amazing debut by Amy Taylor. Search History explores how the use of social media impacts our lives and the ins and outs of modern dating. Buckle up for a funny and insightful read because we have three copies to give away. Here's the blurb. After fleeing to Melbourne in the wake of a breakup, all Anna has to show for herself is an unfulfilling job at an overly enthusiastic tech startup and one particularly questionable dating app experience. Then she meets Evan, charming, kind, and financially responsible. Evan is a complete aberration from her usual type, and Anna feels like she has finally awoken from a long dating nightmare. As much as she tries to let their burgeoning relationship unfold, IRL, Anna can't resist the urge to find Evan online. When she discovers that his previous girlfriend, Emily, died unexpectedly in a hit and run less than a year ago, Anna begins to worry she's living in the shadow of his lost love. Soon, she's obsessively comparing herself to Emily, trawling through her dormant social media accounts in the hope of understanding her better. Online, Evan and Emily's life together looked perfect, but just how perfect was it? And why won't he talk about it? Okay, I have three copies of Search History by Amy Taylor to give away. Uh, the competition closes on the 29th of May. So just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions for your chance to win. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you're ready because it is paludal. Paludal, P-A-L-U-D-A-L. Have you heard of paludal? Paludal is an adjective of or relating to marshes or produced by marshes, as in M-A-R-S-H-E-S, you know, like those swampy looking things. (laughs) So if it's produced by a marsh, it might be something like a disease. So you could say something like, after two weeks of rain, the paludal basement had become home to an array of strange creatures. There you go. Paludal. And that was the word of the week. But now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Today, I'm talking to Samira Kamaladeen. Her latest novel is the middle grade story, The Sideways Orbit of Evie Hart. Her first novel, Half My Luck, was published after it won the Matilda Prize. Samira was a journalist and now works as a children's and youth librarian and is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre. As you'll discover, her enthusiasm is infectious and her writing is wonderful. Thanks for joining us today, Samira. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. I've actually been listening to you for a number of years now, Valerie, so it's great to finally meet you. Oh, how wonderful. I think it's so great that, you know, you can go from listener to, you know, episode guest star, and here we're going to be talking about your latest book, The Sideways Orbit of Evie Hart, which is actually your second novel. Um, Your first one, Half My Luck, won the Matilda Prize. It was a YA novel, and now you have... Burnley cemented yourself with an author career and um, this is your second novel. So tell us about um, The Sideways Orbit of Evie Hart. 
It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? I hope you remember <laughs> this title. Um, so we are inside the head of Evie Hart. She's 11. It's a very busy head she's got going on. Um, she likes rules and a lot of rules around her are being broken right now. So she's in a particularly fragile place in life because she's transitioning from primary school to high school. But in addition to that, she's got family life a little bit awry. She's got her bully being an extra bully. Um, so there's a lot to kind of, uh, I guess, ruminate over. So simultaneous to that, she's also learning about space at school. Her teacher, Miss Owen, is teaching them about space. And so that she sort of goes on this little parallel journey, I guess you would call it, of self-discovery, discovery about the wider world, learning that you can't control change in your little world. You also can't control changes in the big wider world. How did you come up with this idea? Because as you said, she, she has a lot of thoughts yeah. <laughs> and you've really captured that age. You've really captured Evie. You've really captured the kinds of things that would go through um, a young girl's head. But then, you, as you say, you've got this space aspect. Which bit came first when you were thinking about um, the story that you wanted to write? I knew what the character I wanted to write. So I'd come out of half my luck feeling um, it was a very kind of emotional, cathartic journey, that book. It was very deeply personal and the character in the end was so much like me that I was like, okay, I, I need to do something different. And what I my starting block was I want to write about a really lovable character. I want to write about a really relatable character and something else that was a personal experience for me was having anxiety in that worry brain at that age. And so I knew that's what I wanted to write about. I just wasn't sure yet how that came to life, what her triggers would be. Um, the space thing hadn't come into it just yet. It was more just this girl. I knew I wanted to write about this girl. I could see Evie before she even was fully formed. And I was actually doing, it was during lockdown and I was on the coastal walk one day and I really struggled with, with lockdown, with creativity, with inspiration, with motivation, um, and also discovered about myself that I was someone who liked rules. And I hadn't noticed that about myself ever. But suddenly, as you know, during that time of lockdown, there were so more rules than ever in part of us in society. So, you know, you could have people over. There was the radius. There was people congregating and, you know, being on the coastal walk and living where I did at Coogee. Sorry, I just said the Coogee to Bondi Coastal Walk, for those who don't know. And, and seeing people doing the wrong thing was really getting to me more than I ever thought it would. And I was getting really annoyed about people breaking the rules. And it suddenly occurred to me on this walk one day, that's her trigger. That's what's going to be what sets her off as well, this character. Um, the space thing came in because I also had this really weird initial idea about writing about Mercury retrograde because I'm fascinated by the concept of the way it's become so commercial and mainstream to discuss Mercury being in retrograde and how we use it as this crutch for anything that goes wrong in our lives. Like we all go, oh, it's because of Mercury in retrograde. <laughs> and so I kind of had this idea and I, I realised while I started kind of trying to piece it together that that was a bit mature, that was a bit too old. Nine-year-olds don't care about Mercury in retrograde. But I thought the idea of space and astrology and all that sort of stuff, that's very much about, about discovery. We're constantly, you know, still discovering things about the universe. And I find it very fascinating. Obviously, it makes you feel so small in the world. Um, and so I thought I loved that subject at school. Once I started researching it, I realised that I could correlate the two storylines together and they kind of made sense. Wow, fantastic. Now, take us back to before the sideways orbit of Evie Hart, before Half My Luck, when you were, because you 
you were in magazines. You mm-hmm. were a writer in magazines, yeah. which people think, oh, it's actually an easy jump, but it's actually a completely different way of writing. You can't just easily jump from one to the other. It's like two completely different professions. So what were you, when did you know that you wanted to write fiction and 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 was that something that, you know, that, that came from a, also a very young age or did that develop later in life? It definitely started very young. So I was, I came from a very bookish house. My sister and I were very into reading, very into writing. That's what we did in our school holidays. I have such, you know, vivid memories of lying on the couch and reading each other's stories. And I started writing short stories and I started writing what was then middle grades, the title, that tag didn't exist, but all those sort of little books that I was reading at the time, I, I started to try and mimic those books and write my own. It wasn't until probably my early 20s that I seriously considered actually having a go at writing a manuscript. I was working at Dolly Magazine at the time, and I think I was a little bit cocky thinking, oh, I work in teen magazines, I've got this, <laughs> and started writing and was like, oh, this is, I you know, pitched it out, got some rejection letters, realised it was not very good, gave up on it, and it was probably 10 years later that I actually picked up, a, I say a pen and paper, metaphorically, because um, I actually did write that first one on pen and paper, um, <laughs> to, to do it again. Um, so I think that was the first time that I thought I could actually do this, but that was just not the right manuscript and I was not well-read enough and I was not well-researched enough. Um, it was very premature of me, I think, to have picked it up then. So then when you wrote Half My Luck, which is YA, Young Adult, was it was that the age group that you were aiming for? You Did you want to be a young adult author? I always told myself I wanted to be a YA writer. Like that was always the plan and the goal. I wanted to be a young adult writer. But now when I reflect on my writing before that, I think everything I ever did before that was actually in the middle grade category. I just didn't know it. I think I was always writing a bit younger and Half My Luck was probably a little bit on the younger end as well. Um, so when I finished that, I kind of went, I do have some other ideas for YA, but I also kind of go, maybe that was the one I one YA story I had in me and that was the one I was supposed to write. And then all my other ideas I realised very quickly were in the middle grade space. Yes, that happens with people who think that they want to be young adult authors, right? I know quite a lot of young adult authors who um, start off down that path and actually realise they are meant to be adult or they're meant to be middle grade. So it absolutely happens. So how did this feel to you when you were writing, when you were writing Evie Hart, the, the novel? Um, how did that connection with that readership feel to you compared to um, your first novel. This is going to sound so cheesy, but it absolutely felt like that's where I belonged. I was like, this is it. Like this, is, and it was kind of like finding a new voice, to be honest, because it took me so long to find my voice for half my luck. And it was a story that I didn't think I was going to write. It's not the story I ever had planned to write. Um, and, you know, as I said, I wrote that first manuscript, it took me a long time to be reading and researching, studying, and then actually write that book. And so starting a middle grade book after that was, yeah, a little bit like finding my voice again, but it felt really natural and it felt like it was the right place to be in. It was, it's kind of funny yes. to explain. And, and so um, Half My Luck won the Matilda Prize. Now, hello. <laughs> How did you feel when you found that out? Oh, my gosh, that was a crazy ride because we were smack bang in the middle of COVID. Like COVID happened in March. 
I found out in May that I was shortlisted. I won in August. So we were actually in lockdown in Sydney when that happened. No, hang on. Sorry. No, we're in lockdown when the book launched the year later. So we were still COVID times. Yeah. It's still very much, you know, all that work from home and, and stuff like that. Um, so it was very, it was wild because it was like this real pinch me. Did this, is this actually happening? And, you know, everyone being just so happy for me. It was actually quite overwhelming. When you re- when something like that happens to you and everyone kind of steps up to celebrate with, with you, it is really overwhelming. Yes, yes. But it must have felt, you must have been very validating. 100%, yes, because I was like, I, I was, there was so much heart and passion and love and sweat that went into this book that it was totally validating. So I was like, okay, it was the right choice. It was the right choice. As I said, I thought I was going to sit down and write something else. I wrote this instead, despite all my best intentions. Like I was like, this is not what I want to do. I do not want to write this diary about my cultural identity for the whole world to read. Um, but I did. And so, of course, that validation was like, it was the right, it was the right book to write. Now, back then, um, you mentioned that what you would do was because you were quite disciplined and that you had a calendar mm-hmm. and you crossed off your thousand words a day. And if you reached a thousand words, you rewarded yourself with something like, you know, going for a swim or yeah. something. <laughs> um, has that routine changed or or is it a bit different now? What do you do when you are in the throes of writing your your main draft, your first draft? What do you do to stay on track? It was a completely different process. So with half my luck, I did what you're always told not to do when I quit my job. And so <laughs> I took the, we had for any Seinfeld fans out there, I had the summer of Samira is what my friends and I were referring to, referring to it as. And I took quite a bit of time off and was just sort of freelancing and things, but properly sat down and spent four months every day writing this book, which was, yeah, kind of wild when I think about it. Um, Evie Hart, I had a full-time job again at that point. And so it was very different process. I did not have the luxury of just like, I'm going to get up and do some Pilates and then write for a couple of hours <laughs> and head down to Miley's bars for a swim. How lovely. Um, this time I had to fit it in before work in my lunch breaks and after work. But as we were still COVID times and I was working from home, I was gaining time with that commute that I would normally have. So I was kind of taking advantage of Normally, I'd be in a bus right now for potentially up to an hour and the bus on the way home. So they were my writing windows. Um, and I, I stuck with the word count, the same word count. I was like, oh, well, it worked. At first, um, we were coming out of lockdown when I started writing it. And as I mentioned, I was very uninspired and very unmotivated. I really struggled with creativity at that time. And I was literally only writing a couple of hundred words a day, but it was still going through the acquisition process. I wasn't even sure if it was going to be signed off yet, given the green light by, you know, up top of HarperCollins. So I was kind of just chipping away a little bit and then kept going and still chipping away and then got to January and actually had a very big freak out. I'd promised to deliver the manuscript for end of April, beginning of May. Got to January and only written 10,000 words. So this, the target for this was 45,000 words. So between January and the end of April, I suddenly had 35,000 words to write. And I had a bit of a meltdown moment going, what have you been doing, this procrastination? That was okay with book one because no one was expecting it. Someone's expecting it this time. It's very different. So I had to get super regimented. So it was this speed regimented process for those couple of months where I was like, right, sit down. And I actually was at the pub with my cousins and we're sitting there, cal- everyone's calculating, okay, this is how many words you need to write every day to get to 45,000 by the end of April, like writing it down. 
And so then it was, yeah, then it had to get very disciplined because I started getting a bit fearful that I wasn't going to be able to deliver. (laughs) But then when you had that um, crush at the end, did you stick with just riding on your commute? Uh, no, because I wasn't commuting, so I was working from home. So I I didn't have so that hour that I would normally have been on the bus became my riding time at home. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So from January to April, when you had to deliver, how many? Because you were still working, so how many hours a day were you spending on writing your novel? A good couple of hours. Um, I would try and start in the morning. If I wasn't, I, I like to go for a walk and do some kind of exercise in the morning. So sometimes I would do that. Um, my lunch break pretty much every day. Um, and then after work, it's 5.30. Once I logged off from work, I would log on to, and that was actually quite hard transitioning from being on work on a computer. So I literally would go onto a different computer and go to a different space. So I had a desk at home set up because I was working from home. So I actually wrote the book on my couch because I felt like I needed to go, work's over, tap out, dock out, move my computer, go somewhere else and bring my personal laptop with me so that it felt like that transition had actually happened. Um, and I don't know how I don't have chiropractic problems after that because I wrote the <laughs> couch with it on my lap on a cushion. There's a perfectly good desk sitting right here. Um, and then weekends as well. So a lot of my weekends, usually I'm an early bird, so I would wake up Saturday, Sunday morning, and it never felt like it was hindering my weekends because I'm on a, like I said, I wake up really early. No one was ever around to do anything with anyway. So if I was up at 6.30 writing for three hours before I met friends for breakfast or whatever, you know, that was no time lost socially. So it was every day. It was seven days a week. You are disciplined. Okay. (laughs) So you need to write an entire novel. You do it even though you have a full-time job. With, With the sideways orbit of Evie Hart, did you know the story. I mean, you, you you knew your character, you you knew the things that were going to impact her, but did you know what was actually going to happen in your story early on or did you discover it? Absolutely not because I'm a member. <laughs> so I fly by the seat of my pants, as they say. So that did make it extra hard because some days it was coming, just falling out of me. It was like, yes, I'm on this great role and it was a really enjoyable process. I loved writing Half My Life, but it was more of an emotional process. This I really loved. I really enjoyed writing this because I really loved Evie Hart. Um, But some days I was like, right, start Chapter 5. What happens in Chapter (laughs) 5? So there was a little bit of like a little graphic organising, a little mind maps of like here's the problem, what's all the solutions that could come off. And I love recommending mind maps to kids when I talk about creative writing. Um, purely because I don't plan out very, uh, very thoroughly. Um, sometimes I will note down in my notebook little things that I think are a great quote or something that could happen later on, but it's never that, that fully planned. So back when you were in magazines and you were thinking, you know, I really want to get into fiction and writing novels, you actually did um, <clears throat> some courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and you did creative writing. So what made you decide to do that and what did you get out of the course that was helpful to you? Well, I realised that writing a 500 to 1,000-word article was absolutely nothing like writing a 50,000-word book and there's so much to know. And and not to say that you have to have studied literature at uni to be able to write a book, but there is a lot you need to know. There's basics that if you've never heard of them before, like a narrative arc, a story arc, a character arc, all that sort of stuff. And I looked into a what can I do and I found the course of this yellow writer said I did creative writing stage one huh? um, and I did it remotely 
So I did it online, I think just because the in-person dates didn't line up and I wanted to get it done before I sat down to write this manuscript. Um, so I did it in the in the couple of months leading up to, because obviously I had, it was on the summer of Samir, I had all this time on my hands. Um, and, yeah, so I learned so much. I learned, you know, just about building depth with characters and how important that is to just build really authentic characters and how to do that and just creating engaging dialogue and, again, those arcs, um, all that sort of, I guess it's a little bit scientific, isn't it, that sort of stuff with writing that um, you can Google it, but I really liked that this was coming from an Australian writer, someone in the Australian market, so it felt very localised, like I was getting advice from someone who had published in the market that I wanted to be in. So would you recommend the course? 100%, absolutely, and I have since recommended it to people because I think it's just such a good foundation to sit down and start writing a manuscript, whether you've been a journalist, whether you've never written anything in your life or whether you've just been writing for fun, um, I think it's going to yeah, definitely give you that basic kind of foundation. People often talk about the pressure of the second book. Did you, you know, because the first one, as you say, you write, you know, you don't even know whether it's going to get published or not, and it does get published and that's great, but then you've got your second book and there's a deadline. Not only there's a deadline, but there's an expectation, I need this to, you know, um, sell well and be successful, which I have no doubt this will. This is just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Everyone should go and get it. It's, you know, if you've got um, a, a younger reader, this is a, a must buy. Now, if so back to the pressure, did you feel that pressure? Not about the deadline, but about to perform. Not pressure twofold, to be honest with you. So you've obviously hit the nail on the head with this pressure because I've pitched something that a group of people in a boardroom actually liked and think is a viable idea, a marketable idea, and think it's going to sell. So am I going to deliver something that's going to tickle the boxes and they're actually going to like? You know, the minute I hit send on it to my publisher, Lisa, I was like, oh, God, please like this. Please think it's everything that you thought it was going to be. I was lucky that she thought it was everything she thought it was going to be and more. But twofold is... I'd launched into the YA market and I was now doing a switcheroo to middle grade. So the pressure of they let me into the YA community, are they going to let me into the middle grade community now? Because now I'm trying to be in another community. So yes. it's going to be accepted now into the middle grade world. So I want to talk about that because it is, I mean, you're exactly right. You, you've, you, you, you established yourself as a YA author and you've moved into middle grade. What was your publisher's reaction to that? It was actually really collaborative because, as I said, when I finished writing Half My Luck and I started kind of research, just picking up books that were out there to see what else is out here, and I picked up all these middle grade books and was like, wow, we're having this real boom in Australia with middle grade. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, I'd like, I think all my ideas that I've got, because I had this Word document, I was like, YA, you know, middle grade picture books, because my head doesn't think very linear sometimes. I'm all these ideas everywhere. And all my ideas that I really liked were sitting under the middle grade subhead. And I was like, oh gosh, how do I raise this with my publisher? Because is this a thing? Are you allowed to just switch and move around? Is that a thing that you're allowed to do? So they want to promote you as one particular box. And so my, when my publisher, Lisa said, can we have a chat about next books? And she called and and she said, we, you know, we've been having internal chats and we think you'd be really great. At, we think you are really great at writing about issues in a funny way. We think you'd be good at doing it for a younger audience. And I was like, oh, phew. Because <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. And then so I pitched her a bunch of ideas that I already sort of had sitting there. And, and she said, well, what, where does your heart lie? And I think that's really important. And I, 
um, really valued that she asked that. But, yeah, so it was really great that we were on the same page. Yes. Now that you have your second novel out and it's such a good one, you must be thinking of um, some kind of planning for an actual, for for the for a, a, a author career with some yeah. longevity. So what plans are you putting in place or what have you been thinking about? I've been thinking a lot about middle grade and, as I said, feeling like this is where I belong, like this is, I think I found my home. Um, I've got so many ideas. I've got an idea that I've pitched to my publisher for a, a, a third book but a second middle grade book. Um, I'm yet to hear back. Stay tuned. Um, if she doesn't like that, there's others. Um, I actually love the idea kind of on the bucket list is I'd love to write a series. Mm. I mean, a great series. I think, I mean, that's probably a lot of middle grade author bucket list goals, but I would love that. Yeah, that'd be great yeah. because you have a lot more room to explore and a lot more room to, you know, pull the threads kind of thing. Yeah. So you're currently working full time as well. Yep. Yep. So you are combining both of those things. Um, how do you, or is this even in a question, stay motivated after your full-time job if to, to you know, write your fiction? Yeah, it's going to be hard because I'm in a different job now and I'm back in an office. So I've actually had a career change. I'm a children's librarian now. Wow, so, perfect. Yeah, six months ago I had a career change. Um, so I am in the library five days a week. Um, so I have been thinking about how this works now because I, when I sort of wrote the first few chapters of this third book that I mentioned that I want to pitch and that I would like to kind of continue writing, I have thought about how does this work now? It's going to be a com another completely different writing process. I haven't quite finalised how it's going to work yet, but I imagine it's going to be a case of I usually get home a little bit early because I can start early. So is it a case if I get home at five o'clock and I sit and write for an hour every day and then write again on weekend mornings? So, or do I take my laptop to the library? Do I sit somewhere at lunchtime? Am I going to feel like I'm at work and I'm not separating the two? So I'm going to have to test a few things out, I think. But how wonderful be to be surrounded by all of these children's books all day. Oh, my God. I love it. And children. Um, it's so, it's so, so cool. And I, so I run programs at the library and I ran the school holiday program most recently and I got to do a creative writing workshop. So it was really cool. How fantastic. In, yeah, instill a love of not only reading but writing in some of the local kids. And what's that like? That's like coming full circle from yeah. being a creative writing student yeah. and now actually teaching young kids about it. What did that feel like? Honestly, hats off to AWC because it's really hard to go. I for, for so long, I'm like, I, I had this in my mind. I want to do creative writing workshops for kids. I want to teach kids to write. And then I sat down to like create my presentation. I was like, oh God, where do I start? How do I even create lesson plans? I'm not a teacher. Like, what am I thinking? You know, like, do I need an education degree now? So I, it was actually, yeah, it was, it was really hard to sit and think about what's important. What can I, what do I, what knowledge do I have that I can impart? What have I learned? Um, how do I teach that in an engaging and entertaining way? And, you know, the whole time that I ran this workshop, it was a one-hour workshop, now mostly kind of like eight to 10-year-olds, um, actually a couple of maybe 11 year olds and the whole time they're all just sitting there no one's making a sound and I was like oh god this is so boring like what like this is incredibly dull they all hate me and at the end one little girl put a hand up and said can you talk for 10 hours next time 
And I was like, probably not, but that's lovely that you've asked for that. So it was, you know, you just never know. You can't tell from their faces what's going on in their heads. But And then, you know, one little thing that I'd said to them was always write your ideas down, any little seed of an idea, keep a piece of paper, keep a notebook, write a word, write a phrase, write something you've seen. And this one little girl at the end came up to me really quietly and pulled a piece of paper out of her pocket and showed me an idea she'd written down during the call. And I was like, oh, stop it. Oh, wow. Now, you obviously love this age group. Yes. Not only hanging out with people of this age, but, you know, the headspace of writing yeah. it'll grade. Why this age group? Oh, it's, it's such an engaged audience and a curious audience. They're still curious about the world. They're not on TikTok yet. They're not self-absorbed yet. And I love also love teenagers because I also look after teenagers at the library and obviously my first book, Teenage Audience. Um, but there's, there's something special about that upper primary school yeah, just the curiosity. And it makes me laugh. I did some talks. My sister's a teacher librarian at a public school, uh, primary school. And I did some author talks there ahead of the release of Evie Hart. And just some of the questions were just like hilarious. Like, how much do you get paid? And do you want to be as famous as Roald Dahl? And why are you short? And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's not a relevant question to writing. So I'm not going to answer that one. Um, I am quite short and a lot of them were taller than me. But, you know, I just, yeah, I love that they're still curious and they're not embarrassed to put their hand up. And it's really hard going into high schools. When I was promoting Half My Luck and I, I did a high school talk and, again, they sat there and gave you nothing. They give you nothing. And then no one wants to put their hand up because how embarrassing. I look like the nerd putting my hand up and asking a question. Primary school, there's no inhibition. They're just, I'll ask the, I'll ask the question. I'm not embarrassed about anything. Love it. Why yeah. did you make this career change into becoming a children's librarian from being basically a journalist and yeah. writer? Yeah. So, well, the journalism landscape changed very significantly. I worked in magazines, which had a very sad downfall and almost death. I would say, yes, probably a death. Um, and so I had to do a little bit of a sort of pivoting and upskilling to kind of move into a different area of media for that reason that those jobs weren't weren't really existing anymore and I did a little turn into branded content so I was working in branded content um it's it, it I had a great time and I met great people I met great friends and I met great skill I made great learned great skills but it's not what I could see myself doing forever and if I couldn't do magazines anymore and this wasn't as fulfilling to me what else could I do? And while promoting Half My Luck, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed speaking to kids. I really enjoyed discussing the importance of reading um, and how important books are in the world, getting on my bandwagon, forcing books down kids' throats. And I looked up literally, I just was going on LinkedIn, like what is a job I can do that doesn't involve working at a book publisher because I feel like that's conflicting because I am contracted to a publisher. What else can you do? And just by chance stumbled upon a job ad for a children's librarian um, and was like, this actually is not what I thought a librarian does. There's so much marketing and event planning and, and that sort of stuff involved in it and programming um, that it's not, yeah, it's not about just shelving and checking out books. So I read the job description and was like, this is actually what I want to do. How do I, how do I do this? And so I had to, I've started studying again because I am not qualified for this job. Um, so I am simultaneously studying um, for this. There is a, there's uni courses and there's a TAFE course. So there's a lot to learn um, about librarianship. So that's, yeah, it kind of wasn't even a, I'm going to look for a librarian job. It was, it just fell in my lap and I was pleasantly surprised with what it involved. 
Wow. Okay. Well, um, I think it's wonderful to be surrounded by um, books all day. So that's fantastic. And um, uh, I am so thrilled for you for the Sideways Orbit of Evie Hart. I cannot actually wait for the next book. So hurry up and write it. Thank you. Try. <laughs> now let's leave with um, your top three tips for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position that you are in okay. one day. Um, my first tip would be, and from experience, um, understand the market you want to write for, research the market that you want to be in. It sounds super obvious, but it's actually um, surprising how many writers don't do it. Actually working in the library, I've had a few children's picture book authors come in and say to me, how do I get in your library? And like, you know, I'm, I'm self-publishing this book and like, how do I get into your library? And I've said, have you read other children's picture books in Australia? Oh, no. That's probably your first protocol. Get out there and see what else, who your competitor is. And not that it's a competitive industry. We're all like, you know, me versus you. It's just knowing what publishers want. It's knowing what people are reading and buying. It's yeah. so, so important. And, you know, back to my very first manuscript that would never get published because it was total piece of rubbish. But, it, you know, I, I can see why no, it was never, it didn't fit anywhere. So that's my first, understand and research the market. Um, my second is trust your gut with your writing. Like with anything, if you keep reading over something going, I don't know that this is right, it's probably not right. I mean, even when I submitted both my manuscripts, um, there were things in there where I kept coming back to it. I would wake up in the middle of the night in my sleep going, I don't know if that should be there. Is that right? And of course, it was the thing that got picked out by my editor and publisher when they were doing their edits. So trust your gut because I, I knew there were certain things I was like, they're going to question that. They're going to question that. Mm. And if I'm questioning it now, just take it out, mm. rewrite it, do what you need to do. Um, and my third tip would be keep the momentum going when you finish a project because that was another mistake that I made. And not necessarily a mistake because Evie Hart was the result of it. But when I finished writing Half My Luck, I didn't write again for two years. And that's a really long time to not have written a single thing. So I wrote my manuscript. I was trying to get it published. I was feeling disheartened because it wasn't getting picked up. The Matilda Prize came came along. I entered that. And then COVID happened. And we're going through the, the motions of that. And then I went through the process of the editing and all that sort of rookie stuff that, you know, you don't know happens for nine months with a book. And then the publication of that and then when my publisher said let's talk about next books I was like oh god I haven't started anything and during that lockdown period I was actually feeling I wouldn't call it FOMO I don't know if that's the right word but I was feeling I was putting a lot of pressure on myself because I was seeing other authors who'd released their debut novels at the same time as me and were already writing or completing manuscripts or getting publishing contracts for their second books and I was like oh god what have I been doing and maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe that's just the, the journey that I needed to take. But I do wish I'd started writing something and kept that momentum going. I think that's really important. And I did that this time. So towards the end of Evie Heart, I was almost kind of trying to rush it and finish it. Because I was like, oh, I've got this other idea I want to do. And I want to actually just like put pen to paper and start doing it. And I did. I started writing something. I took myself away at a little writer's retreat, which I've done three times now, um, and started writing something the minute I'd kind of handed this in and I think that's what I would like to keep doing as well. That's great and that's such good advice but I'm curious to know 
Um, so you've learned that now and you know that keeping the momentum going is a very good idea for a whole range of reasons, not just creative reasons, but just career strategy reasons. I'm curious to know why you didn't. Did you just not think about it or were you burnt out? Like what? why didn't you keep the momentum going? Actually, I was burnt out. I was quite, emo- I felt emotionally burnt out with half my luck because so much of myself had been poured into to this very personal book. And I did, I felt exhausted. I felt so tired from it. Um, I'd put way too much energy into it. So it's good that it got polished in the end because there's a lot of energy that would have been wasted otherwise. Um, but also during the lockdown period in Sydney, I felt the most uncreative I've ever felt in my whole entire life. And I struggled and was very frustrated by that. Um, I'm someone who likes to create things. So not being able to create something was incredibly, it was, just, it was a bit painful actually to not, to feel like I couldn't do it. I just yeah. was like, I can't do it. I had to have another outlet and my creative outlet during lockdown in that COVID period was cooking. So I did, I literally would spend six hours on a Saturday just in the kitchen because I was making something because I feel like I couldn't make something words wise. I had to make something another way because I still had that that outlet that needed to, you know. But how did you get out of it? How did you get back into your mojo? Um, I took myself, actually, no, that was before lockdown. I took myself on my little, so that was actually quite frustrating because I had taken myself on my little writer's retreat. I wrote the very first page of Evie Hart there, which actually didn't change. Still that, still that same page. I went to Orange in country New South Wales, which is beautiful, and I got snowed in and it was so lovely. And then two weeks later, I was like, right, I'm getting back into this now. It, all I needed to do was take myself out of my current landscape, go somewhere new, be, be inspired by somewhere so beautiful that had nothing to do with this book whatsoever. There's nothing about orange or the snow or anything in this book. Um, and I was like, right, this I'm re-energised, I'm rejuvenated. Two weeks later, of course, we went into lockdown. So <laughs> it, all went, it all got paused. Um, but I think the minute we got out of lockdown and my life felt like, I felt like I got my life back again. I feel like I got my mojo back again as well. It was it was actually as simple as that, to be honest. That wow. Switch, yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations. The Sideways Orbit of Evie Hart. How fantastic. And um, thank you so much for your time today, Samira. Thank you so much, Valerie. I really appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to write for children? Would you like to create characters and stories that kids will love? Our course in writing children's novels is the perfect way to start your journey towards becoming a children's author. This course focuses on writing for middle grade, that's 8 to 13 year olds. You'll discover how to find your voice, understand the market, take your characters and your readers on epic adventures and create a blueprint for succeeding as a writer. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning online with your very own tutor, providing direct feedback on your writing. You can find out more at writerscentercomau slash children. That's writerscentercomau slash children. Before I leave you, I would like to share this fun fact with you. Did you know that James Joyce, the Irish author famous for writing Finnegan's Wake and a portrait of the artist as a young man, invented the word tataratat in his book Ulysses, making it the longest palindromic word in English. That is, it reads backwards the same as it reads forwards. And in case it wasn't obvious, you know, tataratat means a knock at the door. There you go. 
Now you can all sleep. All right. So do join the podcast listener community on Facebook. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. Lots of fantastic authors and aspiring writers from all walks of life from all over the place. Feel free to connect with me on social media. Uh, I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. And of course, I'd really be grateful if you had 30 seconds to leave a review or rating on iTunes because it really helps other people find us as well. Thanks so much, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter, at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.